Hello and welcome to the Player to Prospect podcast. The following episode features a conversation with Jack Wilson, an assistant coach at Grand Canyon University. To support the podcast, all follows, ratings, and reviews are greatly appreciated. And now I present to you Jack Wilson. Since your playing days up until now, how you've seen just a change in what the ways that people de- or players develop uh, all the way from youth to kind of maybe where I'm at in the, the professional ranks. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing, the biggest difference now is singular sports, like going into one sole sport, and especially when we talk about baseball, they're deciding so early, like, this is what this is. I have to, they feel like they have to concentrate on one sport. And I think mm-hmm. it's a huge disadvantage because there's so many, great athletes in the game of baseball that can do athletic things that just baseball players can't do. I think if you look at Mm. the most athletic players in the game, you'll find a background of them playing multiple sports when they're kids all the way through high school. Now there comes a certain point for everybody where they decide, okay, this is what I want to do and go all in. But I think there's so much pressure now to, if you're good at something, you have to go all in. So like the development is crazy early. Um, really, really early for a lot of these kids and the hours they put in is too much, in my opinion. Like, it's just, it's kind of just, it's, and that's part of it. You know, they get bought into why I have to have a scholarship in hand by sophomore year of high school. So that means in seventh grade, I have to go full baseball. I got to give up any other sport because I need to go four to five days a week the entire year so that I can Mm. get to that E1 scholarship or whatnot. So, yeah it's it's that's what i've seen especially at the youth level as far as like high school is concerned and you know so it's tough to watch because they're you know they almost like robbed of a childhood in a sense where they they could be like we i always encourage my travel team like we would stop playing so that they could play other sports like we're not doing anything yeah go play sports and if you don't want to play other sports you want to keep on training that's that's okay but we're not playing any tournaments we're not playing games for this three-month period of time and that's it. And if mm-hmm. you want to go sub for another team, that's fine. But I really encourage our players to be, I was a triathlete in high school. So I like, I loved to play a lot of different sports growing up and yeah. my parents were awesome when it came to that. So I think the fact that I was a really like dedicated soccer player has helped me out so much as a baseball player and the footwork that I needed to play shortstop. So yeah, the things that I could do, get up off the ground quickly, quick feet, had a lot to do with my shortstop time or my soccer time growing up and all the way through high school. Yeah. So, you know, so the development is different. The, the weight training is a lot earlier uh, than yeah. it used to be. Um, I didn't touch a weight till junior college. Um, but now wow. these high yeah. school kids are lifting heavy weights at freshman, sophomore year, which is super dangerous, but That's what I did. Know, yep. <laughs> it's super dangerous. It's everybody's, I mean, you, everybody grows and gets at different peaks and different times. And there's plenty of guys that are strong enough in high school to do that. And some, I'd never let my son for four years of high school touch a single weight because he was growing oh. so fast. He was growing so fast. Mm-hmm. I'm like, listen, like you're, you're, you, the guys that are almost done growing and they look at their dad and like, okay, I'm not going to be this tall and I'm already this tall. I, I get that. But if your growth plates are open yeah. in any part of your body, I'm like, so, so my son did not touch a single weight because I said, listen, you're going to go to college and you're going to lift a whole lot of weights and that'll be around the time where your body's going to be ready for it. But everybody's different at different times. It's just being smart about it and the whole 
I gotta be this. I gotta, I have to go baseball. I have to lift. I have to get to this point. And I was fortunate enough to never have to do anything. I just wanted to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Now there's so much pressure with perfect game rankings and, and all the mm-hmm. things that people are saying they need and they don't, they just need to enjoy yeah. childhood, play the game for the fun of it and let the chips fall. And, you know, at different times, at different parts that, you know, they'll be strong enough to lift weights. They'll be old enough to lift weights. So it, it's, it's different for everybody, but mm. I found that the, the players in high school that made sure they're, they got to the right time to lift were the, the guys that never got hurt. Mm. Yeah. That was, that, that was a big one for, for what I saw as far as development. You bring up a lot of points uh, on the weightlifting side, but then also on the train, like on the playing side, is it that it's too much or it's that it's too focused? Because like you said, you're a tri-sport athlete. It's like you have right. the energy to, to do it all. But right. but like if you focus it solely on just baseball, it's like there's only so much skill development you can do with, with the tools that you have. You know, so well, it's also too, who are you learning from? Yeah. Who's your coach? Like how much development are you on? The, if you're with the same coach year in, year out, I mean – is your coach developing you in different stages? Like it's, yeah. I've been with the same travel team. I've been with the same high school coach. Well, they have their limitations on how much they can teach you. So by playing mm-hmm. more and more and more, does that really, does that really help you in a sense? I think it's a lot of wear and tear. I think, I think kids are playing 150 to 200 games a year, if enough more than that in travel ball and then high school and then the summer circuit. It's, um, it's a lot of wear and tear on a, on a, on a game that has wear and tear on specific parts that the more you, your, your arm usually only has so many bullets in it, you mm-hmm. know, and you're always throwing and throwing and throwing and throwing and, you know, by being, by being a multi-sport athlete, you're able to give yourself a break. You get to, when you play soccer, you can give your shoulder a break. You can give your mm-hmm. elbow a break. You like, you know, so I felt like when you did that, you, you gave your body a break because the game of baseball is so different than the other sport, unless you're a quarterback, you're not yeah. using your shoulder and your elbow and any of these other sports that you're playing, maybe a little bit of basketball, but that's not as violent as throwing a baseball. So mm-hmm. I think there's, I think there's a lot of toll on your body, especially as a pitcher, but yeah. there's a lot of toll that goes on your body. Baseball is a rough game because it takes so long. You're always on your feet. It's a longer game than most of the other games. There's no clock. You know, some of the tournaments, obviously, you're like, okay, drop dead at 145 or whatever it may be. But uh, there's just so much wear and tear on a, on a baseball body mm-hmm. that, you know, you play soccer, you play a couple times a week. Yeah. You're playing baseball, you're up to four to seven games over a course of a week plus a weekend, maybe. It's, it's a lot. Well, and it carries over into the training side of it, too, is like you're actually developing in different ways by playing those other sports, which I think is something that is so valuable, almost invaluable, if you're only trying to train in the baseball setting. I mean, you played soccer, I played soccer too. So I guess I'm a little biased in that way where it's like, yeah, I think just like my my footwork, my ability to move my feet and be athletic, it would not be at the same level if I never played soccer up until high school. Like it just, there's just no yeah. way because we don't train it. Like it's just every, at least every sport. a little yeah. bit more now, but it used to not be like that at all on the training side. Yeah. Every sport really has a lot of applicable movements that can be used in baseball. Yeah, and like I said, like you can look at a ba- you can look at a baseball player and see them do something athletically, and you're like, okay, that guy plays more. He does more in baseball because baseball players that train for baseball movements can't do that. 
Mm-hmm. And that guy does something that looks like a basketball player with the footwork that looks like, you know, a football player that plays wide receiver the way he gets after a ball off a jump off a bat. Like there's so many things mm-hmm. you can point out. You're like, I bet you that guy plays another sport because it, it enhances a baseball movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's, so I've always been like, even watching and, and scouting now and doing, you know, going out and looking at kids, you can pinpoint the baseball player only and the, and the multi-sport athlete, because they mm-hmm. just, they just do things differently. They move differently Yeah, because they've been trained to move in different ways. Like we're trained to run straight for 90 feet. And then if we hit a double, we're, we're, we're trained to run and make a left-handed turn. And then mm-hmm. we're going to make another left-handed turn. And it's all these short spurts yeah. that you're like, okay, that's really the only running we're doing is just constantly turning left and maybe, you know, we're left, left, left. And it's like, okay, like it's the same thing all the time, but yeah. in other sports, it's never really the same. It's always multiple movements. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the recruiting side of it too, and we'll touch on that later, but um, have you seen, or at least maybe in your experience with your coaching um, style, like, do you try to train your players to learn how to move a little bit better and not be so one dimensional with the stereotypical traditional sort of like baseball training? Yeah, we did a lot in high school. It's a little bit different when you get to the college level, just because you have specific trainers that are that are hired to do that type of stuff. But in high school, we did a lot of football stuff. We did a lot of basketball stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we did a lot of, like it was never like, hey, we're going to condition. No, we're going to run routes, and yeah. I want you to. And we would do routes and make different pivots and turn and simulate kind of different things. And and um, you know, so I found that to be a really good way to to get kids to, to do other movements and try other things rather than just hitting them fly balls or hitting them ground balls, mm-hmm. you know, doing different things with different sports and, and making them, you know, experiment a little bit with their body on, on how to move and, and enhance their baseball stuff. Yeah. I mean, it really boils down to just making, well, not making, but developing the athletic sort of ability, just the general right. athletic feel you know your your ability to understand how your body moves and also get better at moving and have you noticed or not noticed did you notice uh like a shift in when that type of training started to carry over into baseball um not really that kind of happened while i was playing you know when okay. i was in the leagues, that, that shift kind of that shift was starting to happen at that young age i i went through it really with my son but i i basically had my son do the same thing I was doing. I just play a bunch of sports, have fun. And when it comes down to it, you're going to decide at some point that this is going to be what you want to do, but it's not when mm. you're 13. I promise you it's not when you're 13. You yeah. know, so it's, so I kind of saw it through his, you know, his life and, and his generation of, of that age and going through high school and stuff like that. So I saw that happen. Then it really didn't happen when I was playing because I was, I was focused on, on what I was trying to do. And then for the big leagues, we were always training because we wanted to keep our jobs. Yeah, so yeah. We, were always, we were always getting after it. So it, this kind of a shift happened kind of while, while I was, you know, playing in the big leagues where I really didn't see it firsthand until, until I got done and started coaching a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And Remind me, when did you start your coaching career officially? Because you always well, had your I mean, son. You always had your son, of course. Yeah, yeah. And so like, I, when I that was like your your yeah, your trial run. Guy. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> like I, I really actually thought it was really good for for me personally to go from the big leagues to literally coaching twelve u baseball uh, mm. because I needed to learn how to coach. And I think, man, if you can learn how to somehow identify and and 
and start at a younger age like that, I felt like there were steps I wanted to do. I always, I fell in love with coaching with 12 U coaching and then mm -hmm. 13, 14, and then making adjustments to the different age groups that I was, that I was coaching and how I got them to kind of buy into what I was looking for. And it was a struggle. It, I mean, because there's, there were some times where I was like, I couldn't identify, I couldn't understand. It was a super shift between Jacob at like 12 U and then getting to like the sophomore age in high school, there's a big shift in, you know, it's the same shift that the parents get with their teenage kids. I was going to ask. And it's the same shift, the same timeline with their high school coach. It's I'm mm -hmm. invincible on uh, like whatever, you don't know anything, all, all that stuff. And it was, it was kind of like my, I, I started coaching, I believe in maybe 2016 or 17 at Thousand Oaks High School. And starting mm -hmm. the high school time and after my second year of high school i said okay i kind of need to change how i go about this because hmm. my first year it was new everybody bought into everything i said it was you know you i think it was your senior year my first year at thousand Oaks high school mm -hmm. we took a team that was second to last and ran up to i think we were one game behind newbury park for the championship we had a great season but mm -hmm. they all bought in it really easy because they were so eager to get somebody new anyways Mm -hmm. But then the next year, we really struggled. Uh, we lost Matt Otino, who was our best player. He was a stud. We lost him, and I couldn't, I couldn't get them to buy into some different things. And so hmm. I had to learn from that season as a coach. Like, okay, I realized that the generation of player now, the discipline is much different than the discipline that I grew up with. Yep. Um, and if you raise your voice to a high school player, they're gone. Like, see, ya. Yeah. like, yeah. just not, they're not used to that because the discipline is different um, than what they're going, that they're going through. I find it's tough because I find that there's so many more parents that are fans of their kids instead of being parents first and then a fan. So hmm. their kids can do no wrong at 17 years, 16, 17 years old, because they happen to be good at a sport. And it's just like, so I get them on the baseball side and I have to deal with the same thing. And it's the fact that, that like I'm getting upset in a practice and as soon as, and as soon as I bring my voice, like it'll do absolutely nothing. Mm. But I got to the point and I said, well, if I, then I started to think, man, with this generation, they're just so used to positivity. They're just so used to people telling them how great they are. Yeah. So I kind of started using that in a sense where I'd be like, Hey, I'll see something like, I really like what you tried there. Think about it this way. If we do this, this, and this, we can keep this guy off the base with still getting the out rather than doing that. And they mm. would completely buy into that because I started it by saying, I really like what you tried there. Yeah. I like the, I like how you went kind of outside the box and trying to make that play. Yeah. But then bring in the teaching part of it. And that mm. style I found was like life-changing for, for me as a coach, because I was like, okay, this is how you deal with this generation of player. Uh, I see. Uh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. You get, yeah. You can, I can get, if I could get to the point where I could just look at you a certain way and you knew I was mad and without raising my voice, like that's when I know I'm, I'm locked in because that's when you know, like, really like, come on, come on. It's like, you can like, be better. Like, like we can do and, better. And I could get the same as what I used to get and yell at it, yelling at a player. I could get the same reaction, but more positive with just yeah. like letting him know I cared about him. I wanted him to succeed. I just needed to know that this wasn't the right time to be 
whatever he was being at the time, whether it was like, it was like, Hey, let's, let's get back to work. And so mm-hmm. that kind of changed with me and that, and just kind of how this, this age group, this generation of baseball player is used to being treated, you know, mm. from rankings and other people, they're just always being told how great they are. So I kind of use that yeah. to try to become a better coach and so I can relate to them. Well, it's a fine line between I'm right and you're wrong or, okay, I see what you did there. Let's, let's make an adjustment that, right. you know, that is, I think an improvement off of what you're already doing, you know, right. Like it's kind of, cause you don't, yeah. like you said, you don't want to have them ra- raise any, you know, hands and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't let me put the yeah, guard yeah. up. You know, it's me you versus me? you. Yeah. yeah. There's no me right. versus you, but I've heard from other coaches too, that it's a lot of players just want to understand why things are going on. You know, right. they, they need, they need to have a reason for things uh, happening as opposed to just kind of obeying the, you know, the commands, you know, which is like right. the more traditional sense of how sports just generally go. Um, so I think that is a really interesting, like dynamic shift in like coaching. Yeah. And yeah, you also especially mentioned- in baseball, especially well, yeah. in the game. Like because football, it's such a game of failure still, they're still too. Grabbing, they're still grabbing the face mask and ah, why are you doing that? Like they're, they're still, I still see that in high school football. So I, so, yeah. and I think it's the parents that are letting their kids play high school football be like, yeah, you got to suck it up. That's just the way it is. I just mm. think it's, it's just not that way in certain sports. Yeah. And you mentioned like failure too, because the game itself just being such a game of failure. Um, I mean, that's something, you know, and maybe if you're 14, 15 and you haven't dealt with a whole lot of that, then once you get that right. first taste of it and it's sour in your mouth and you don't like it, yeah. it can be really tough. You know, it can be, it, it, you, you, they don't know how to react to it a lot of the time. I mean, I've, all, I've definitely been there, but after failing so many times, it's like, oh, okay. I actually embrace the failure. I mean, for sure. Yeah. And from the coaching perspective, how do you do it? Well, yeah. How do you deal with a player who's like not handling failure in the best way? Maybe like, and you identify that. I think, um, Another thing that I learned over time is, is getting the player to see it from a different perspective. I'll, yeah. give, you, I'll give you an example of what I did with, with Jacob. Jacob was at Team USA this summer, and he mm. got the invite to trials for Team USA. The first game, he is just getting his doors blown off, like 95, 96. And you're having a bat. Every at bat's a different pitcher because it's trials, so only, everybody's only like throwing two innings. But no mm. one's hitting. No one's hitting right now. It's like the first day of trials. Everyone's just coming off whether they were in the Cape or they didn't go to the Cape. It's wood bat, and it's difficult. And he's like shooting balls like over the first base dugout. And he so he ends up with like an 0 for 4 day, and he calls me, and he's like really frustrated. He's like, I feel like I feel embarrassed. I said, well, okay, let's, let's look at a couple different things. Let's look at one that nobody else hit him either. All right, so let's – it's not like it was just you not squaring up the ball – Mm-hmm. Nobody hit today. Like both the pitchers were just dominant. They have phenomenal stuff. They're they're Team USA pitchers too. So sometimes you just yeah. got to be like, hey, this guy's Seriously, really good. Yeah. This guy's really good. Mm-hmm. And I said, and then the different perspective was, well, you know what's really cool. And I said, you know what's really cool is that all these scouts and the people that are evaluating you just saw you get get beat consistently with ninety five plus fastballs. I said, how awesome is it going to be with the, over the next few days? When you start spinning on fastballs, what, what, how that makes you look as a player that can make an adjustment. I was yeah. like, man, all I'm going to do is make a little adjustment. And just that is too, and we were talking about scouting or a t- of somebody making a team. The best mm. thing a coach can look at is somebody that can make an, an adjustment like in, in a 24 hour period and then turn around and be a, 
and be a better player from his failures the day before. Mm, and I it's said, the whole game. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, and I said to him on the phone, I'm like, check this out. We can make some adjustments right now. And I said, listen, you're going to look amazing when you spin this around. And all of a sudden you're going to show it because you, they're going to see a guy that made an adjustment from day to day, which is mm-hmm. everything that baseball is. Yeah. Everything about baseball is making an adjustment. So we made a little adjustment with his swing. You know, we made it a little bit shorter. We spread out a little bit more and just kind of made an adjustment and, and he went off, but it was more the fact that he, he started the conversation with, I feel embarrassed and I feel down and I gave him a new goal that completely mm-hmm. wiped out what he was feeling at that time. Because I said, Hey man, like all we got to do is this and you're going to be fine. Like the failure, yeah. like you said, racing the failure and learning from it. And like failure is one of the best teachers we can ask for is to fail it, to learn from it. Yeah. But it makes you, when you do make an adjustment, when you do turn around and, and say, Oh, you're doing this, I'm going to do that. And, and you're able to do that as an athlete, the, the sky's the limit for you because you're showing that you can make those physical and mental leaps in a 24 hour period. So yeah. I'm big on perspective. Like you talked about is to get their mind off the negative part and give them some way to flip out on the positive. Yeah. And, that's going to, that's going to be so much more player than he comes in. It's like, coach, I don't know what I'm doing. I'd be like, you know what? I don't know what you're doing either. You're swinging at this pitch, you're swinging at that pitch. I wish I was pitching because I get a K every time. Like, you know, <laughs> where you hear some, yeah. some coaches have that philosophy where I say, Hey, well, let's talk about it. What do you think you're doing? I said, well, you know, think about it. If we just eliminate this and this, and you had a, you know, you just missed this pitch, you just missed this pitch. There's a lot of positives here that we can build on. And all of a sudden now we, now they get, a much better get themselves in a much better mental situation to mm-hmm. go forward. Yeah. I mean, looking at anything in a positive light is probably the ideal thing to do, but it can be difficult to identify the failure as the opportunity and then the adjustment as like the action, you know, on that opportunity. I mean, I can think of just this season, you know, whenever I had a struggle and it's like the only thing I can focus on is like the miss or the, you know, like the, you know, I missed the spot or I walked the guy and it can be, you can get in your head like really easily. You can let the gears start to run away, like way too fast for what you can handle. Um, So I guess, do you have any, um, you know, instead of maybe like sitting down talking, like, are there any in-game sort of um, little like mental cues you like to give players um, who are maybe they start out over one with a strikeout or the pitcher has a bad first inning? Because like those little things, like if you can identify them in the moment can be really valuable. Yeah, I, th- I think the positivity thing, especially when my job, my job right now is when is I stay in the dugout, I help prepare them for their at-bats and mm-hmm. I'm there if they have any questions after their at-bats. And my job is to literally just point out every single positive thing they do, uh, no matter mm-hmm. no matter what it is. I'm given obviously they hit a double and they come in and like, hey, wait, great swing, but but it's the they're gonna be negative on themselves because they're not performing. Mm-hmm. So they don't need to tell them that they don't that they aren't looking good or whatever, or they're not they're not performing. They they're doing that to themselves. So it's it's to basically those little adjustments, I'll give them hints like, Hey, this worked for me. This hurt, this worked for chipper when I played with him. So I'll use my mm-hmm. experience of watching guys make these little adjustments or talking to those guys back in the day about hitting that I can say, Hey, try this up there. If this isn't working, because you know, just as anybody as a baseball player, some days we don't have our a game and we have to find a way for, to make our, to help our team win with our B game. 
Mm-hmm. And that is where we're talking about, like, can you drag bunt? You know, can you can you grind out at bats and, and get a walk and get a ball in the dirt and be a great base runner that day because for some, you know, you're not swinging it or playing really, really good defense, mm-hmm. you know, when your bat's not there. So just shifting their focus really in the in the in the time is all right so if it's not there today let's make an adjustments but but we can still help the team win if we're not feeling our best because we're not because there's going to be a good 15 to 20 percent of the time where we're not just smashing everything hitting every spot snapping every curveball slider exactly where you want it to be it's just unrealistic but mm-hmm. if you focus on hey there are other ways that you can help your team win like you know i talked to pitchers like it's your off day today what you started yesterday how are you can help your team win today like what's your thought process there's always ways to help your team win yeah in, in those different areas so i think i think i've found that the, that continuing to push positivity on them and pushing them to to make little adjustments from from what i've learned in the past has been the most effective thing like little little ticks little things that you know i could see in their swing be like hey try this or hey we really need to stay right center on this guy because you're pulling off so really keep that shoulder and little tips but at the same time just pushing positive positivity tell like you're you're still a really good player mm-hmm. you know just because you had a bad at bat doesn't mean you're going to have a great at bat or a bad at bat the next at bat and just because the at bat before you went deep doesn't guarantee you you're going to get going to have another great at bat every mm-hmm. at bat is, is its own history so yeah throw it away and start over just as much <laughs> as you, just as much as like i can go four for four one day doesn't guarantee that I'm going to get any hits the next day. It's a new day. It starts over just as much as if I'm over four. Well, yep. I'm over four. Heck, there's actually more of a percentage I will get a hit if I'm over four because I'm due. You know, so yeah. yeah. So that's what I found has worked so far. Yeah, and you're bringing in like some mental, you know, sort of approach aspects to the game. Do you guys work on that um, specifically? Do you guys uh, dedicate any time specifically to it, or do you integrate that into like the day-to-day uh, process throughout your guys' fall and preseason? I think, yeah, I think the the mental side we hit consistently in little waves. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, when I first got here, I was a little late because I was I was doing the USA baseball stuff in Florida, mm-hmm. so I was able to kind of do like a PowerPoint presentation and talk about different things and really kind of what kind of person or coach that, that I was, what to expect. Cause they already had like three weeks of practice, but a lot of that, mm. a lot of that meeting was talking about the mental side and what it takes to be, what to, what it takes to chase greatness. Um, you know, and so a lot of the things we talk about, like I gave them three questions, like, what do you want? So we talked about the room, like, what do you guys want this year as a group? Now, these were things I did in my own personal life. Like if I wanted something super bad, I was like, okay, what do I want to achieve? It has to be real. Um, so we, obviously we're talking about Omaha. We're talking about a WAC championship. Or, you know, I said, well, what are you willing to do to achieve it? Like, what are you willing to do? Basically, at, physically, what are you able, what are you willing to do to make that happen if you want it that bad? And then mm-hmm. the third question, what are you, what are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up in order to, because there's not too many things in life that we want really, really bad that we don't have to give something else up to do that. You want to buy a really nice car. You're going to have to give up some of your extra money that you might be going out or going or entertaining yourself. You're going to have to give that up if you want the car. So most of the things that we really want in life, the special things have to have some sacrifice. So 
that, mm-hmm. that was kind of a mental grind for them to understand because it was like, it's not just going out there and playing baseball. You have to, the mindset of what it takes to be out there. And I told him you got 200 and something days, it was like 259 days until the first game in Omaha. Like how mm. many of those days are we going to throw away? How many of those days personally mm. are you going to make sure that you're trying to accomplish your goal? So hmm. that mental side, I think a lot more of it happens during the season when things are counting and there's records and stuff like that. I think in fall, we're still in that phase where, I mean, we're still trying to shape out a roster. We're still trying to shape out who's going to be the three starters on a weekend. Who's your midweek guys? Who's your hmm. shortstop? Who's your you know backup second base? Like all that stuff is so focus and letting these guys play I think the mental side really comes in January when we get back together after the holidays and and sit down and understand what what it is we we've done in fall and what we have to do and then really grinding on the mental side of preparing for for big teams big opponents big games stuff like that I, mm. I love that side of the game I think that because in order to play in the big leagues you have to be crazy mentally strong or else yeah. you're just it's just gonna fold like it's just very it's a very difficult thing. There's self-doubt that floats in there every now and then. And that's just something you got to battle against. And I said, the best guys have the shortest memories. They're just, they just forget because they, they have, you have to be not cocky, but confident that every day you're going to go out there and help your team win a baseball game, regardless of what you're feeling at that point, whether you're not feeling good with a plate or on the mound, whatever it may be that you still are going to have an impact. So Mm. as you know, the, the, the grind of being a professional baseball player is most guys, if they don't make it, it's mostly because of the mental side of, of how to get out of a jam, how to get out of a rut mm. and the guys that can get the fastest. You, yes. You are hitting on a key lesson that I've learned this year in that we all have this, this, these grand goals, you know, I want to make it to the big leagues. You guys on your team want to go to Omaha, but right. it's, never it's almost never about like that last game that you won that that got you there it's like like you said like the 250 something days leading up to it it's how many days like how many of those days can you make count like you've got to make every day count it's a it's always going to be a slow but steady progression upward like it's never just oh yeah we just shot up and became a great team one day or a great player i just instantly turned into a big leaguer it's like it's the delayed gratification it's the it's the system and the process you know that you're working through as opposed to just focusing on the big goal you make that a, a huge point and I think that's very important. It's something I learned, like I said, uh, very quickly in baseball. And then you also yeah. mentioned um, like the formation of a roster. Can we dive into that a little bit or just like how, like how that works, at least um, from your perspective on like the offensive side? Yeah, so so really let's look in that like the offense we're doing, obviously fall balls, a lot of inner squads. We mm-hmm. get to play a couple of teams. We just played Loyola Marymount. We'll play Arizona State on Saturday. Um, this upcoming Saturday, but it's really, you know, finding out number one, what your strength of your team is and enhancing that as much as possible. Um, mm-hmm. This year actually is, is a really good year for Grand Canyon because we kind of have all facets are pretty darn good. Uh, hmm. This could be talent wise. It's probably the best team that this, that this university has had since they became a university, to be honest with you. I mean, just from the lineup one through nine, the pitching staff, the defense, the ability to be athletes and run. It's a crazy good roster. So at this point, it's just almost like 
you can take nine names and control them out and let them land on a lineup card somewhere. And I think you have, it's a really good, it's a really good lineup. It's a really good team. So our focus right now is just, okay. Like the little things like Mm -hmm. who's the best second baseman that works with the shortstop. I mean, Mm. little things like that. Who's um, you know, whose stuff is better designed for a Friday night versus a Saturday night versus a Sunday day. Okay. And then, okay. And then especially too, you're looking at, okay, who's the bullpen. Uh, do we have a closer? Who's the closer? Who's the setup guy? You know, and and you're trying to use these numbers and all these things change. I mean, we can leave fall ball with this is our lineup. This is our Friday night guy. This, and this is our closer. This is our setup guy. This is our center fielder. And then within three weeks, it's completely different. You know, it's, it's, it's so shaping a roster is really just making sure like you have your, your a lineup, but most importantly too, is making sure that your bench is good. You have backups at each position. You have your, your, your catchers that you can trust defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get your strike throwers that are, that are huge. You know, you, you're trying to gain trust with your bullpen. So it's, it's, it's difficult. And I think it's, you know, we're coming to the end. We only have a couple of weeks left before fall break, which is really awesome. So um, I think it allowing the players to play it out, you know, let these guys compete against each other and see what happens. So we got mm-hmm. a lot of really good strong competitions going against certain players right now which pushes everybody to be better. So um, yeah. I love the fact that that's, that's kind of where we're at right now with, with the shaping of it and just really hope, making it so that there's no real weak link. Like mm. we just want to be, you want to be good at as much of the things, every facet of the game as possible. I see. So for your guys, team identity, would you say versatility is like at the top of the list in terms of what you guys can do as a team? Yes. Yeah. I think, okay. I think versatility is one of the most underrated things in the game of baseball, being able to mm. have multiple guys play different positions, different roles in the pitching staff. Um, you know, being able to being able to have I mean, we have three or four guys that can play infield and outfield. And that just becomes a huge need when you're talking about possible injuries down the road and being able mm. to just fit this oh no, we're good. We can just move this guy here and that guy here. So that's what's coming in and forming, you know, forming your bench. And what that looks like mm-hmm. uh, to be able to counter any type of whether it might be a day off for a guy who's not going to play a midweek game uh, just because he plays every other game and then we're set there because we know defensively he can handle that um, you know so really really I mean the starting lineup usually wins out they usually uh, they make everybody see that's why they're in the starting lineup but it's that bet those bench roles that come in and and even the defensive replacement if you need a guy to come in and, and lock down third base or whatever it may be, uh, if you have those guys in place to make moves to, to make sure that you can win a game in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. Hmm. So versatility, that's one of the main things. Do you have, uh, do you have like other things that you'd like try to identify with the team or do you, sorry, do you identify that like with the players? Do you tell your yeah. players like, guys, we're going to be a versatile team. Like that's right. our goal. We want to be able to, attack pit pitchers in different ways. And we also want to right. be able to pitch in different ways to different offenses. Um, so, so yes, that's like one of the main things, like kind of just you identify yeah, that absolutely. with your players, right? Yeah. I okay. think, I think one of the biggest thing is too, is that such an ability to hit on this team, like from one to nine, you okay. got a chance that the team's going to hit over 300 as a team. You're looking at eight, nine whole guys that could be anywhere from, two to five hole hitters on other teams 
and and letting them understand that we need to know how to bunt and we Hmm. need to know how to hit and run and we need to be completely unselfish at the plate. Even though we trust you with the batter hands, we do need you to get a guy over here. We do Hmm. need that because we're going to play teams in tournament situations. We're going to play tough pitchers on Friday nights where we're going to need that unselfish shit roll over to second base. We're going to need, we're going to need everybody on our lineup, even though you guys are great hitters, we're going to need every one of you to put down a bunt Mm. or the ability to, to to show us that you're going to be able to do that. I want half of our squad to be able to put to a drag bunt. I don't care who you are. They're going to give you the bunt at third base. We're we're going to learn how to drag bunt because the best teams that consistently year in year out have that versatility as an offense to mm-hmm. be able to to do those things you know i'm not a base dealer but you can be the best ball in the dirt guy on the planet because that's just yeah. effort and focus little things like that you talk about you got to find you got to be able to win games without just banging because you're going to run into a pitcher who's just going to be shoving it and you're going to have to small ball to score some runs early and often as much as you can mm-hmm. it's not you're not your your lineup is not just going to pound out seven to eight runs every single game yeah it's just not going to so getting them to realize that type of things. And then we have to find out, okay, who's willing to do that? Because that that plays a big plan on where I'm going to hit you in the lineup. And that plays a big plan if you're going to be in the starting lineup or not. If you're unwilling to do things or mm-hmm. you try things because you may not be comfortable with it. And we talk about sack bunting. Nobody bunts anymore in the big leagues. There's bunting has kind of been <laughs> faded out and it's super sad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I work with Team USA and an 18U national team, and half of those guys can't bunt because they never bunt in their life because they're the best players on the planet. They don't have to. Yeah. They're never told to. never have to. They're never told to, but guess what? We're playing Japan, and we have a one-hitter, a two-hitter, an eight-hitter, a nine-hitter that usually hit third. You need to bunt because we need to do that against Japan because Japan's pitching is amazing, and we're Mm going to have to play small ball against Japan. So we we are taking guys on our roster to beat Japan that are literally there to bunt and base run. And those two mm. came, we're leaving some, we're leaving prospects behind and not taking them to the, to the world, you know, the world cup of baseball, because those other guys gave us a better chance of beating teams that we know we had to do, you know, smaller things. So like yeah. I bought, I bought three pairs of batting gloves and I put them on the bulletin board and they're going to go to the first three guys that can drag bunt for a base hit. And it's really <laughs> just, I just, want them to, I just want them to try it. You know, I just yeah. want to try it. I'll tell the third baseman play back. They're not going to do it, but play back. It's fine. One person so far in fall has gotten a drag by down for a base hit. Oh my and god! And I ran, I was out to him, and I and I loved it. But it, the best teams are, like you said, are versatile. They can beat you in so many different ways, and that's where we have yeah. to get to. And the good thing is, our guys buy in on that. They understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's what we need. We played Oregon State last year, and they bunted three times in one inning, and manufactured two runs. And that's Oregon Ooh. State. Yeah, that's Oregon State. They were a top ten nationally ranked team. Um, I think they, they didn't make it out of their regional that they hosted, but they were a top 10 national team, national ranked team. And they bunted three times in one inning. That that's all I should have to say, because Oregon <laughs> State's Oregon State. They're amazing. They're, they're one of the best teams every single year. Mm-hmm. And you know, that, 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 that they, they practiced that they obviously worked at it. So I say, you know, ask people like, are you a good bunter? Oh, no, I'm a bad bunter. Well, how much do you practice it? Because you're going to be bad at something you don't practice. Yeah. It's like, I say, can I, you hit a 90 mile an hour fastball? Yeah. Okay. Well, I won't let you hit for three weeks. And then the first, fa- then I'm going to throw you nothing but 90 mile an hour fastballs. You're going to hit it. Probably not very well. No. Well, if you haven't buttered in three weeks, then you're probably not going to bump very well either. 
So it's like, if you just, yeah. you're going to get 90 because you practice hitting every day. It's like, all you got to do is practice bunting every day, like seriously, because we're, if we're, if we're in a whack championship and we got to get a bunt down, do I have to pinch hit somebody for you? Because in the fall and in the spring, you didn't dedicate yourself to being a best bunter you can be. So yeah. now I got to take the game because I got to get somebody else that can. So mm. they're buying on that. They're, they're all in on that stuff. Which is really yeah. Cool. That's a good way to logic them into uh, it buying in. It's, <laughs> it's also too, what do you want? What are you willing to do? Yeah. What, what are you willing, willing to sacrifice? sacrifice? What yeah. Willing, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to run defensive bun plays at a hundred percent speed so that we know the speed with the pitchers and the infielders? Yeah. Are you willing to, to be the best butter you can because your name might be called to put a bunt down for us to make it to a regional or not? Like mm -hmm. that is entirely possible. Yeah. And you never want to be in that situation and to, to look back and be like, what if I just worked harder at bunting? Mm -hmm. And then you have to live with that. It's like, well, just take it out of the, just take it out of the equation and get good at bunting. Yeah. No what if. <laughs> no what if. We don't want that. Yes. So I, I guess this all kind of boils into the the funnel of uh of like culture the but it's a buzzword culture and right. you know i don't i don't love using that word but i mean is that so is that really as as simple as it is like for you guys it, it's as simple as you know kind of like buying into just the process as part of your guys culture because like obviously for players yeah they they have to collectively co like come together you know in order yeah. for a team to really like perform to the best of their ability right so it's like yep you have to kind of communicate like very clear things for players to be able to buy in for, you know? Right. Yeah. I think, I think team captaincy is a big deal, especially when you're talking mm. about a clubhouse versus the offices of the coaches and, and having those people in play, which we're lucky enough to have those, those type of guys in our clubhouse this year, which is really good. Um, mm. You know, But it is to get them to understand and buy into something and like i said it's just it's giving them a different perspective and understand like we might be doing drills that you don't like which we all do drills we don't like i'm sure the the hours of bunt plays that you do in spring training are just lovely for you i'm sure you have a blast for that because i know i did mm. yeah but you knew you needed to do it you knew you needed to do it because back in the day there was more bunting we nationally got pitchers so we had to do bunt plays all the time you know so but it, it comes down to it. It's like, okay, you have to trust that the school has hired a staff to win. And you have to trust that they're going to do everything in their power and their knowledge to, to help you accomplish that goal. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that you might not agree with, but there's, there's a head coach and there's a staff that what they don't understand, I think for the most part is like when, when a player sees the practice plan, they think that we just kind of like, oh, we just made it up. We're just going to go through this. It's like it's, it's a process. Like people are putting time and effort into making sure that our practices are, are you know, by a timely manner, by their, by what we have to hit, all the things that we know that we need to do to win games. And mm -hmm. sometimes you got to remind them of that. Like, listen, your job is to come here and buy in. That's, that's really it. And I said, because you're technically getting paid to be here. And then you mm -hmm. got half the kids like I'm a walk on. Like, well, those those shoes you're wearing, the shorts you're wearing, the undershirt you're wearing, the hat you're wearing, the pants that you're gonna put on later, the cleats that you're gonna put on later, the socks, the stirrups, or the black socks, your underwear has all been provided for you. Well, you are being provided with value, which is basically being paid for something. So, yes, 
you're here. The school is providing you things, whether it's scholarship money or equipment. Mm-hmm. And you're here to, to basically follow our head coach's lead to go out and do what he thinks puts us in the best situation to win. And sometimes you just gotta, they have to be explained that like, no, this is, this is real life. It's, this is how it is now. Like, and if you want to play at the next level, you're going to find the same thing. Like you're going to have to make adjustments from your A ball coach to your high A coach, to your double A coach, to your triple A coach, to your big league coach. You're going to have to adjust because there's things that are going to be like, what I got to do that. Like, why do I have to do this? Or what? I, I don't make sense. This drill doesn't work for me. Like it doesn't really matter because if the, if the coach believes in it that much, it's that buy-in mentality that everybody has to have to understand that this is what we believe that we need to do to win baseball games and to get mm. our players better developed. Yeah. And you mentioned kind of like at there's, there's the next level, which is like the pro level. And I've definitely been part of teams where the coach might say, like, if you're here, you know, your goal should be to get to the next level. And I mean, where do you stand with that? Cause on my end, I feel like there's the reality where not everyone feels that way. And it can be kind of weird for a player to say, like, if I'm just doing this because I just need to get like to the next level, it's like, I don't want to get to the next level. You know, like I'm just trying to be a good college baseball player. Yeah. I, I told this to the guys when I was, when I was, when I was talking in the beginning, I said, listen, my goal was never to make it to the big leagues. That was never a goal of mine. My mm-hmm. single, my singular goal when I said, when I had to hang up my soccer cleats senior year, crying my eyes out because that was my sport. That was my baby. When I focused just on baseball from that day until the day I hung them up at 35, I just wanted to be the best I could possibly be. Mm. And I, cause everything else I couldn't control. I can't control if I get drafted, I can't control on when a team decides I should move up or stay in a ball or move up to high A or move mm-hmm. up to double A or I can't control any of that. Yeah. So what's the point of putting like for me the, like the pressure of saying I got to get to the next level or I have to do this. I don't have to do anything but want to be great at something. Yeah. And let that drive me. Cuz guess what? If I give everything I have to be great and to say I'm going to put every bit of my time to be the best player that I can be and wherever that ends up, I can be happy with. I could have just made it to yeah. double A and and then and that was it and I'd be like, "You know what? There's nothing else I could have done. I gave everything I had." So I tell these guys, I said, listen, you only have so much time in your life that you get to play this game competitively. And I'm not talking about like men's league and stuff like that. I'm talking about like real college baseball, high school, college baseball, and pro, possibly pro ball if you get to that point. And I said, there's this small window of life because we're going to be ex-ball players a lot longer than we were ball players. Yep. And I said, <laughs> you, you have to just understand that you have to give yourself an opportunity to chase greatness period mm. yeah and you guys are already you're at d1 baseball so you've already taken a, a a smaller step into that direction now whether you go from here or that is completely up to you not anybody else it's just mm. how much you want it and how much you're driven to do something i i don't think you have to want to get to the next level you either want to or you don't that's a, and that's okay if you yeah. say i want to play college baseball and get my degree and i want to go be uh, an engineer that's awesome so do do that. And I said, but don't don't put extra pressure on on something you really can't even control. We can't control professional baseball. We can just yeah. control how we are. We can control how we are every single day. And I said, listen, all I wanted to do, I never tried to beat out anybody but myself. 
Mm. Like there, I can't beat out Derek Jeter because I'm not Derek Jeter. He's mm-hmm. Derek Jeter, and he's definitely not focused on worrying about beating anybody else. He's trying to make himself the best he can be. Yeah. And I said, just focus on yourself and coming out every day and beating yourself from the day before. Beat, mm. beat, beat out, beat out him, because he's the only one that's going to keep you back. Is yourself. You're the only one that's in your way. Yes. Oh my gosh. I found that to be the case is like so many players, like they get in their own way more than anything else in their playing career. And well, it's they shocking. focus so much on this guy's ranked this and I'm only ranked this. And this yeah, guy's, this, I've had that guy's happen. Why, yeah. why does it matter? Whatever I said, I told the guys I got drafted by St. Louis in 1998. Seems so long ago, but it wasn't. All right. <laughs> I got drafted in 98 and the, the St. Louis Cardinals had five shortstops in the top 100 prospect list like every level they had a short and and like somebody pointed out to me i'm like yeah but what does that have to do with me it doesn't have anything to do with yeah me. you haven't that even means, stepped on the field yet <laughs> i'm like i'm still yeah. going to john City, tennessee to play rookie ball and i'm gonna have a chance to play shortstop and start this whole journey yeah. i guess so it's like mm-hmm. that doesn't have anything to do with me that's what has to do with them that's great for them that they've succeeded yeah. That still doesn't have anything to do with me, yeah. you know? So I, I think that, you know, it's, it's so, and we saw, we saw this, we've been lucky enough to see this with the Jordan documentary um, that everybody mm-hmm. saw in 2020. We got to see this with how people talked about Kobe on how mm-hmm. like you see that they were, they were, they were simply the best because they were, they were self-driven more than anybody on the planet. Yeah. They were just relentless. They were never satisfied with mm. anything that they did like there yeah. was no satisfaction they got up every day and they needed to be better than the there's more before. there's always more always yeah. more so i yeah. said you saw kobe play basketball maybe some of these kids haven't because they're too young but <laughs> if you saw some kobe say basketball you literally just saw an hour and a half which was like actual like 10 percent of what he did that day you just oh, saw yeah. the t- yeah. iceberg of what he put in to being kobe bryant Mm-hmm. same thing with michael jordan like why like until i saw the deck i grew up watching michael jordan so like mm-hmm. i didn't i was not a basketball guy but i definitely tuned in on saturdays because the bulls had like the national game every saturday and you literally just i literally would just turn the tv on to watch michael jordan play basketball and i'm not even a basketball guy but i did because <laughs> i was like he's the greatest of all time and then you watch the documentary and go okay that's why yeah. he wasn't better than everybody else he was hard the hardest he worked harder than everybody else And we happened to see the final product on, you know, for an hour and a half, two hour game on television. We just happened to see the final product, but the 80% of the stuff that went into it, we never saw until that documentary came out. You're like, oh, that's different. That's different. I've seen anything like that before. That's different. Yeah, it's funny because from the the eye of the fan, it seems almost miraculous how good a player can be. And then when you pull the curtain back and these documentaries are showing it better than anyone it's like oh my gosh these people are insane about their craft like they're so dedicated to the the day-to-day and just like putting in more work than everyone else you're like how like how could they not have been better you know and i think it's what what it goes down to you see this with every player that we consider it is the greatest of all time yeah. You see that they literally came down to that. They were absolutely relentless. They were, mm. they, there was nothing too big. There's nothing they wouldn't sacrifice to be that. We've, we saw that with tiger. We've seen that with tiger and how 
like how tunnel vision he is. We saw it with Kobe, we saw it with Michael. You, you saw it with Wayne Gretzky back in the day when he was playing hockey. You see it with Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Like just the just the the fact that he he can't retire because he got, <laughs> like he's so he can't retire. You know yeah. he's going through things outside of his life right now that he mm-hmm. he doesn't know what he would do. And I you know everybody that gets to a point when it's time to to hang him up comes to that point and and do I or do I not? Mm-hmm. Who am I? Who am I if I do? You know what I mean? What, where, yeah. what is my identification if I do? So, but, but it's the same theory with, same with all that. Everybody that we consider the goat of a certain sport or what they do, you'll find that they were just literally relentless, some of the hardest workers out there. And mm. their talent showed that they, they took their talent and their work ethic and they blew everybody away. Yeah. You know, and you can look at every goat, there was never that guy that's like, man, he was lazy. He was just better than everybody else. Yeah, it's not in the no portfolio. Never going to say that about those type of players, and that's <laughs> stuff that we, we can learn out in every aspect of our lives. Like, like if you want to be a great coach, you have to you have to grind. You have to learn from other coaches. You have to watch other coaches and be mm. able to learn from everybody else. You want to be a great player, you, you have to be open minded to different thought processes and different theories. You went from Royce Clayton, Royce Clayton at Oaks Christian, mm. to where did you go for, where'd you go first? The first school you went to Santa Clara, Santa Clara. Yes. And then, you know, and then you go to Tulane, like you have all these different coaches, all these different philosophies, then you get drafted. Now you get a whole different set of philosophies. Yeah. And it's just like, if you're not coachable and you're not open to it, you can't get better. You can't oh, get no. better. Yeah, you, you know? Can't. So like just the drive, I love talking about those guys because their drive was immeasurable. Yeah. They could be, the relentless, the unsatisfaction they had was really cool to see and learn about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I want to tie this into recruiting too, because I feel like these are things you can identify in a player um, or sorry, they're difficult to identify in a player, but if you can, then it's like, Oh, this is a player I really like, you know? Cause yeah. it, cause at that point it's like, okay, the talent, the skill level is there, but if he has that, if he has that yeah. like, dedication in him, it's like, oh, I want that player because you don't know what the limit is with him. Like the limit sure. is the, the the sky is the limit with a guy who has no limitations on what he thinks he can do, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to ask about that in terms of like recruiting players. I know like you just hopped onto the scene, you know, on the college like yeah. scene, but um, have, have you thought about how you want to go uh, about the recruiting process with players? Yeah. I so, so I don't. So the first thing you said when, Coach Wallace hired me. He's like, you don't have to do any recruiting. He's like, mm. I've been the head recruiter here for 10 years. I love doing it. I'm going to still do it and be the head coach. I love doing it. I'm like, sweet. Okay, yeah. yeah. But but I've gone out on recruiting trips. There's Obviously, Arizona is a hub for all these tournaments. So mm-hmm. I've gone out on multiple weekends when when we had our open period and what, saw players. And, and to your point, like, how do you identify that it factor? That, and, and for me, it's, it's body language. A lot of body language tells me a lot about a player. Yeah. Like the the guy that gets a base hit and completely goes into jog mode versus the guy that gets a base hit and is looking to go to the second base and has to come to a skidding halt because the outfielder came up with it and was ready to throw to second on a single. That's mm-hmm. two completely different players in my mind because that guy was unsatisfied with a single. Like he was mm-hmm. ready over to second base if there's a bobble if there's a kick up or whatever it may be 
like that guy has a work ethic because he's not satisfied with just hitting a ball through the six hole. He's thinking too. So you're talking about that, just something like that where you're going, but then they got a guy that's, Oh, like he, he gets hits all the time and he hits, puts his head down and, you know, turns the base by four feet and walks back and does some sort of celebration. I'm like, that to me doesn't help me win games. I got guys that could, that can, we got guys to hit, but that guy that is willing to do the second is willing to be like ready for the next play. You know, mm. how do they look when they make an error? Like we talk about all the time, scouts and scouts and you know, recruiters, they want to see what you look like when you fail, because that, mm-hmm. that now shows what, what kind of character you have. Cause everybody's going to be top step and Derek Jeter high five in the front of the dugout when they're four for four, they're always going to be the best like teammate ever when they're successful. What do they yeah. look like? for four they slow you know they slouching the dugout they throw in their equipment you know they're yelling at the umpire whatever it means to me that stuff is just like cross them off the list i don't care how good they are hmm. they're kind of showing their hand on, on on the fact that they can't deal with failure they i mean because we have freshmen that come on to the campuses and every freshman that gets recruited that comes to d1 thinks that they're going to be a guy and it's just like no, that's not how it works. Not the case like nine I've out of had, 10 times. <laughs> I've had USA players on the national team go to schools and not start and not play. I mean, Charlie Saab was Crazy. probably the number one ranked catcher in all of California. He was a Team USA catcher. He went to Stanford last year and did not get a start, and he had 12 at-bats. Yeah. And he was one of the best catchers I'd ever seen at his age. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's just not that the way it is. And, that, and Charlie's a great human being, and he didn't think that way. I just think it's some guys do. And they think like, I'm just really good at baseball. And like, you're really good at high school baseball. Let's just make it real. You're really good at high school baseball. Yeah. Like this is, this is playing guys that are three to five years older than you that were also very good at high school baseball <laughs> three to five years ago. They are now men and you're still 19 mm-hmm. and you have to compete with them. And there's a realization that they, like you said, the failure that they don't go through that they've never had before and how they deal with it. So give me the guy that runs around hard who gets after it because he's the guy I think that's going to deal with adversity a lot better than the guy that's just used to getting hits who cruises around first base and gives mm-hmm. up his signs to the, to the first <laughs> base. Like, oh, yeah, I got a single. Cause yeah. Yeah. Never done that before. You got to give some sort of sign to your guys, <laughs> but you know, those are the things that I'm looking forward to too, because it's just, their mentality is going to be that mentality of that type of player that gets after it is going to be one of the hardest workers because the one thing that in baseball that happens the least is that guy that turns the corner hard at first base looking for second on a routine single mm-hmm. that that tells me that that guy is going to deal good will do, deal really well with adversity because he works his butt off so mm-hmm. he's not going to out he's going to get in the cage when he's not swinging well and he's going to get after it because he shows every time he gets out of the box that he has a mission. Mm. So little things like that, that, that I focus on. It's not always about talent because there's, there's plenty of guys and you've seen it and I've seen it that out of high school, you're like, okay, they're good. And mm-hmm. three years later you go, wait, what? That's the same dude. Like that. Yeah, guy's yeah. Like it's in, like, it's just transforming just because yeah. they're not big and strong. Like, like some kids are at 18 years old, you know? So, yeah. It's like, what happened? (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. I want to, I want to ask like just a little bit, cause you're an offensive mind. If you were to be a recruiting guy, you know, for, for a pitching side too, 
is there a type of pitcher maybe like that where you see and you're like you're like shoot this pitcher definitely has a good chance to uh, succeed at the college level like is there an archetype of pitcher where you're like okay this makeup is definitely you know looks like it can be competitive at the next level right throwing strikes period simple throwing strikes simple strikes Uh, strikes that's, not, that's what I hear. Strikes. <laughs> like, I, and hitting spots obviously is a big deal and velocity and all that stuff like that. I don't care how hard you throw if it's ball four. Like, like you got guys <laughs> yeah. that think so much about velo. It's like, like, give me the guy that competes at 88, 86, 87. Like, give me the guy that competes in the zone, gives my defense mm. a chance to, 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 who's not, who's not just all about strikeouts, who's willing to throw a down and away changeup to roll over a ball to get a double play ball to the shortstop. Who's, you know, who I know I can trust with the ball that if, you know what, they go out and earn it and they bang, at least they earned it. We didn't give them anything for free. Mm-hmm. And at high school, if you're not throwing strikes, then you're probably not going to step on to a freaking college team the year later and, and all of a sudden be a guy that controls his own. Yeah. So I watch pitchers too, just as much as the the feelers do. I'll send video to my, to our pitching guy, to our pitching coach and be like, Hey, I really like this kid. He pounds his own. He competes. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's fearless out there. If he gives up a freaking double, like he gets the, he punches the next guy on three pitches. He gets a, gives up a bomb, but then gets right back in it and freaking strike one little things like that, that are just mm-hmm. like, okay, this guy's a gamer because another thing we're talking about is trying to, point out if somebody can deal with adversity or not mm-hmm. and like you said the game itself is built on failure and how much we're going to fail in a game where it's just like okay as a hitter we get out 70 percent of the time and we're considered great like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just a failure game and it's a game of adjustments and those guys that just get the ball on the mound and you're like they're so confident they get on the mound and it's their ball and they're they're never like timid they're attack the zone like those little things stick out even if it's for seeing him throw for two innings that's be like i want that guy i want mm-hmm. that guy to have the ball i think that guy's gonna grow be projectable to do this 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 but man if he's this now what is he gonna look like in two years two or three years you know? yeah definitely okay i want to bring it back to the uh to the failure part too because yeah. um not enough it's talked or it's not talked enough um about the freshmen that come in like you said like for every freshman wants to come in they think they're going to be the dude and that's just not the case so for freshmen maybe specifically that struggle um and you identify that um how do you how do you go about approaching like a freshman that is struggling uh yeah you got (laughs) it's tough it's tough because most of the freshmen you get especially at the d1 level have never failed before Mm -hmm. they've always been the best players on their team they go to high school with the best players on their team they get here and they're not, not even the best, maybe better than 10 to 15 guys on the team rather than being that one. And it's something that you try to have set up them for when they get on campus, like, Hey, you know, you're going to get an opportunity to grind. It's, you're going to see completely different pitching than you've seen in the past. It's, it's, and you just try to basically kind of just baby them along in a sense, prepare them a little, you prepare them a little bit, be like, Hey, this is, this is going to be different than anything you've ever gone through before. Like mm-hmm. your freshman fall is one of the mo- is probably the most difficult time in baseball that you'll face, other than maybe your first year of pro ball or something where it's just like, <laughs> hey, yeah. this is a whole new world that you're about to enter. And mm-hmm. oh, and by the way, like something like 1.9 percent of all freshmen play their freshman year. 
out of all the freshmen that go play D1 baseball. Yeah. You don't necessarily point that out to them, but you do under, you do kind of point it out like, hey, this is different. And you have an opportunity and we're going to, you know, you have a whole fall to make adjustments and we're going to help you with that, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, you know, there's some guys that come in that they're like, no, I'm here to learn. I'm here to get better. And whatever happens, happens. And there's some guys be like, like, wait, what is happening? I'm, I've, I've never, this has never happened to me before. I'm like, mm. all yeah. of these guys that are here went through the same thing you did. And you give them that different perspective. Every single junior and senior that you see out on the field right now that you think is just, the game looks easy to them. They've been doing it for two or three, four years now. And they were mm-hmm. exactly where you were. And you start pointing out, see him, our starting whatever left fielder, he's a stud. He got, uh, our, I mean, our starting center fielder was Homer Bush Jr. Dad playing the big leagues. Phenomenal mm-hmm. players talking about possible top 10 round draft pick this year. Mm-hmm. He got one at bat his freshman year. One. That was it. Wow. Yeah. Because we were, we were stacked in the outfield. He was a freshman. We knew he was going to be good. They knew. I wasn't as part of the staff yet. But they yeah. knew he was going to be good. They said, this guy's going to be good, It's but he's going to need a little bit of time to get there. Hmm. Turn around now, he's a Cape Cod League All-Star. Last year, he was a really good player. This year is going to be really, really good. And it's just like, he look out there, I'm like, dude, that guy hit like 115 in fall and he got one at bat in spring because they were hmm. a really good team three years ago. It's like, everyone's been there. Like very rarely you can look at a case. Well, yeah, we had a couple of freshmen. We were lucky enough last, you know, three years ago, three, uh, we had like three or four freshmen that were true freshmen that came in and took jobs away from older guys over a period of time. Mm-hmm. We didn't have, they didn't take over a spot from the get go, but over time they were able to, to get more at bats and then prove themselves, get a midweek start. And all of a sudden they started playing better than a, a, an older player that was starting to struggle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like it just takes time to get acclimated. So you try as best you can to get them to realize like, yeah, it's everybody goes through this. Everybody. Yeah. They're the very rare few that don't. It's, it's difficult though. Um, and I hate to say it. I think the transfer transfer portal has completely Oof. messed that up. I think, I think it is taking away from players accepting that they have to sit on the bench for a year and, yeah. and really learn and develop without maybe getting as much time as they like. Right. What is your impression on the transfer portal and how it's, how it's gone for college baseball so far? Cause I mean, I've heard multiple perspectives. Right. I think it has its purpose. I think that there, that it should be amended. There should be some different rules that come along with it. Maybe only teams can only go and get certain amount of portal guys rather mm-hmm. than some team just loading up and going to get 10 bets you know you've already seen it yeah yeah so i'm thinking like three maybe four guys a year like your team can go out and get three to four max portal guys and then you're done Mm. that would bring back you know because then you you are going to have some times where you have to fill some holes like next year at gcu we're gonna have to fill some holes because we have a whole our whole team is you know as far as perspective opening day lineup if we were to talk about today it's going to be juniors and seniors like super heavy junior senior so those guys are going to be gone. A lot of guys could get drafted uh, depending on how the year they do. So your perspective wise, mm-hmm. you could say, okay, we're definitely have to go possibly look into the portal to fill some holes. And that's different than a team just saying, okay, we're going to go win a national championship. Let's just go out and buy every player we can get. Yeah. You know, where you, some schools have been doing that where it's just like, 
my yeah. gosh, how in the world did they get that many portal guys? And they were already great to begin with. So what happened to their younger players, you know? Yeah. And I honestly knew there was a player going to a school that was portal heavy who literally told the scouts he was more willing to sign because he couldn't get out of his <laughs> NLI that he signed <laughs> to go to that school because yeah. he knew he wasn't even going to have an opportunity. So I think it has its place. I think it's a lot of the times too, as a player goes to a place who might just went portal heavy and they have to go in the portal to get out of that. So mm-hmm. I understand that part of it too. So I definitely think it has a place, but it, it definitely has to have some rules attached to it. So it doesn't get crazy out of hand like it has been. And now we're talking about in, I think there's a vote coming up to, to unlimited scholarships. Yeah. So now there's, there's going to have a possibility of a fourth paid coach and an unlimited scholarship. So I think I think the portal has to be adjusted. I think, mm-hmm. like I said, I think that there's there's situations where, like, yeah, it makes sense for a player if he to not, especially too if they're if they're already past their sophomore year. You know, they they mm-hmm. went their freshman year, they go their sophomore year, and they and they still don't get an opportunity. Well, they can't go play junior college now, which is what you had to do. I believe you did. You have to do that after you left, yeah, because you had to go play junior college for after a year. my first year. I went to yeah, junior college. Be eligible. Yeah, so mm-hmm. now you don't have that anymore. You don't have to go to junior college to be eligible. But now, after a second year, if you're a sophomore and you're like, this is just didn't work for me, they didn't give me an opportunity. Well, now that you can't go to junior college because you just played a sophomore year, so you got to go somewhere. So I, like I said, I think that there's there's value in it, but there's also making sure that it's not crazy out of hand to really yeah. handle kids that are that are trying to develop in those current programs. Yeah, but I they mentioned do they do have an out to say hey portal so yeah yeah i mean right now it is all fair game i guess sort of but like you mentioned like a lot of teams have that availability to to go out and get more guys i mean the problem really is the nil because now they're not even giving them scholarship money they're just getting them cash so now you can you can build a super team while still staying under the 11.7 yeah that's that's kind of like you can go out and get everybody and say we're not going to give you any tuition money you're a walk-on, but we're going to give you $500,000 in cash so you can pay for your own school. Now you're like, crap. Now you don't even have that 11.7 doesn't even come into play. So that's why this whole thing is happening because with NIL money, you Mm -hmm. don't have to give scholarships anymore. You can just give them cash or cards or whatever you want, you know? So it's crazy. It's crazy. It's a different, it's definitely a different time. And I think that over time, hopefully some, some things get amended for sure. I mean, and you brought up JUCO. I think it needs to get regulated because JUCOs are going to probably suffer. Like, you're just not going to see as many guys want to go JUCO because they don't want to grind it out for a season or, like, they just want to stay at the D1 level. When I was transferring, I literally said, like, oh, like, I'd rather go to a D2, you know, for a year or, like, maybe maybe I'll sit a year at a D1 instead. And it's like, that's cool. Like, I cannot believe I even thought that for a second. Like, you need to go play. Like, yeah. The value you can get from going and playing at a JUCO much higher than just going and transferring and then still potentially not playing at the division one. Whereas, right. I mean, you know, better than everyone, anyone JUCO transfers. If you're getting a JUCO transfer, they're coming into play. Like, well, and they have twice as many at bats than everybody else because they get a yeah. full fall and a spring season. They're, they're 500, 600 at bats deep off a year because they have two, they can play as many fall games as they want. Yeah. You know, in the fall against opponents where D1 can only play two and it's a bunch of inner squads. So those JC guys are getting a grip load of at-bats plus Summer Bowl 
So they're actually getting the advantage over a freshman that chills at a D1 level because they wanted to walk on instead of taking a D2 scholarship. Yeah, like, I mean. Junior college guy is where, you know, you end up hunting junior college guys in the portal because you're like, these guys, if they play junior college for two years, they get a whole bunch of bats under their belt, even more so than the D1 guys. Mm-hmm. You have a D1 guy that plays for two years, he's going to have 600 at bats. You get a junior college guy for two years, he's going to be pushing 1,000 with two <laughs> years. With fall ball plus spring times two plus two summers, the guy's gonna have a thousand college at bats. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the on the hitting side and the pitching side too. I mean, just the experience alone, like it's so drastically different. And it's so invaluable, honestly. To just compare that, I mean, I think it's it's kind of weird. I don't think I mean I'm trying to put myself in the position of like a parent. Like, would I rather have my kid just transfer to another D1 or send him to junior college after his freshman year, you know, if he doesn't play and he needs right, to move right. on to a new place? I can't see myself saying like, oh yeah, just go to another D1 that's equally as competitive, if not more competitive, because it's like, right. what are the odds that you're going to have an expanded role there? Like you haven't developed at all. Right. Like you yeah. need to go play, right? I think too, you could see a lot of the kids that like have that SEC or ACC Pac-12 type dream. And then they'll be like, okay, I didn't get an opportunity here. But if I go to say the WCC or the WAC, mm. I might be a guy there. So I could see that possibly happening where it's like, okay, I might not be able to compete at Vanderbilt, but I'm, yeah. I definitely can go to maybe a lower D1 division and, 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 and do that. But I, I went to junior college for two years and it was amazing. Like it was, yeah. but like you said, you got to play go. Mm-hmm. And I always tell players, I'm like, I don't care what, where you go, just go where you know that you have an opportunity to, to play your first year, the opportunity, a real opportunity, not like, Oh, I'd, I'm going here. I'm like, do you not see their roster? Like they're returning everybody. Yeah. And the recruiting class that you're with is yes. 15 so, so, other kids. Research, like, man, take the it's D2 like, money and go play every day. And yeah. here's the thing now, portal, you can play D2 for two years and then transfer to D1. You can use a yeah. D2 as a, as a junior college now. Which is which crazy. Is, which That's is even crazy. Because now, because now you can be like, well, if I go, if I'm not ready out of, out of high school to go play D1, I go play D2, have the, the university life, you know, stay in the dorms, have the same type of lifestyle, travel around, play games. And in two years, if I'm a guy and I'm all right, now I can go somewhere. So it's now that's an opportunity, which is mm-hmm. way different than it ever used to be. So now you're not even locked into any level anymore. There's no yeah. lock in anymore. The only lock in is like, all right, if you go to D1 you have to, or D2, D3, you got to get drafted out of your third year. That's it. That's the only lock anymore. Everything else is yeah. like wide open. It's wild. Oh my gosh. But I mean, do you think it'll get, you think it'll get regulated in some sort of way? Probably. I think it has to, I think, I think this, this last portal summer was different than any, than the first year. Wasn't there a record amount of kids in it too? Yeah. Record amount of kids, record amount of teams taking from the portal as far as like individual team taking a certain amount of guys Mm. was was amazing. It was eye opening. Um, But it's, it's also dangerous too because if you're that team that really went portal heavy to 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 win mm-hmm. and you don't like how what are you how are you gonna how did it's so it's got to be so hard to recruit kids to go to a place where you've already shown that portal is your key to victory so how yeah. do you recruit a guy like a young player to be like hey come here but by the way we've we literally just showed our hand like we're gonna go out and get the best players every year because they're gonna want to come yeah. here because we, we can pay in a lot of money right and i am money you know, mm-hmm. so it's 
I hope it does get regulated for that purpose alone. Like I'm going to, you know, go out and get players and you do it. You know, if the rules say you can do this, then you can, then you can't blame them for, for going in that direction. No, I, just no. think rules, I think that it'd be more fair for the rules to be like, okay, we have this many scholarships. You can get this many guys out of a portal or you can get this many D one guys. You can get this many D two guys. You can get this many D three guys and go that route where now you're kind of, putting them in categories in a mm-hmm. sense, you know, that might be some, yeah. hopefully something that they could put together. I just feel like it takes the development side out of a program entirely too, if they can go get guys, because they don't have right. to worry about developing their players. Well, most think programs I- aren't going to go get anybody if they have a guy that they're developing to take a spot. It's mostly like the mm, super, okay. if you build a super team, then yeah, you're going to go out and get a bunch of players and you don't care about development. You care about a national championship and that's it. But yeah. most teams, most teams are going to do what they did before, which was most teams like, oh, I have a hold of field. I need to go get a junior college guy because this guy's not going to be ready. So most teams are doing are using the portal for what it is, which is just a, is literally just a bridge the gap. Okay, we need a left fielder because this guy's not ready. So let's go get a left fielder. Yeah, you know, GCU had two portal guys, two. Uh, like we, we just had two portal guys. Two guys were interested in coming here. One was a grad transfer, so you can't. Even, it's not really a portal. And the other guy was the guy that just didn't get an opportunity at a Pac-12 school. So you're like, okay, like, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like, oh, we need these guys. It was like, okay, one of them we needed. One of them were like, yeah, we we he plays first, he can play third. We need that for this year because we don't have a current freshman or a freshman from last year that plays that position. Mm-hmm. So cool. All right, let's go get him. The grand yeah. transfer is like just like a super bonus. Like now we got a team leader, a team captain's been there, done that played at a huge school last year, went to mm-hmm. Omaha. And now he wants to come to grand Canyon. I'm like, wow, if we, this guy's amazing to have, cause he's been there, done that, you know? So yeah. it's, so it's, so us, it was like, all right, we just, we just slotted some guys because we needed someone to carry over for our developed guys that are developing now to be those guys next year. So I think most yeah. programs are that more so than the, than the teams that are just going all in to just get the best players period yeah i would hope so because like you said earlier it's it's like a it, it t- totally shifts the culture too of yeah. how we bought in if there's if 20 new guys on a team every year yeah i mean it's just so like wait what like am i next like it's it's tough you know if you're a player and you have you have that thought in the back of your mind you yeah. know of Am I like, do I have to hit 300 this year or else I'm gone? You know, right, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'll yeah. Get somebody because I didn't get my job done. Yeah. 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 It's, just, it's definitely interesting. It's different. Yeah. I mean, most programs I would say probably are not in that sort of headspace, but wow. the portal is somewhat, you know, open that door for, for, for people to use if they'd like. Sure. Yeah. Okay, I want to dive into some some more personal stuff, I guess. Uh, I already asked you about, like, what drew you towards coaching, but you, you kind of said you always knew you wanted to do it, right? Yeah, I think I think once I started to do it, I kind of fell in love with it. I felt like – I kind of felt like it was kind of my duty to do it in a sense where baseball had, had given so much to me and my family that mm. I had all this information from all these great coaches that I, that I played for and worked with. It's like, what a waste if I just – just because i'll forget it if i don't teach it you know what i mean because it's Mm. like right like so diving into coaching right away but then there's also too like like the former major leaguer 
that goes into coaching, especially in like travel ball and like high school is not, it does not have a good reputation because really a lot of guys yeah. are known to be really good coaches because just because you play doesn't mean you can coach. So that was my thought process is I took the same thing as I did as I was a player. I want to mm. be a great coach and I'm not nowhere near. I want to be able to look back and said, I was a great coach just as much as I could say, look, I accomplished this and I got to the highest level and I played 12 years. Now, mm -hmm. like I consider that great in a sense because of how you measure, like you play 12, 10 years or 12 years in the big league, that's considered a great career. So I said, okay, yeah. I, I went out and I wanted to be great at something. I want to be a great coach. And I know that's a, that's, that takes a lot of time. Mm. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of adjustments. So I knew when I started, I was like, all right, when I started, it was great because it was 12 year old kids. I'm like, Oh, we're going to beat half the teams just because I know we can backpick him at any time. Like this guy steps out of the pocket. So we're just going to throw this bitch. Like yeah. we do it that way. But then <clears throat> to develop the developing part, the development mm. is was probably the toughest to learn because you're like, okay, not everybody on your team in high school is going to be a D one pro type player. Yeah. You're going to have guys that you guys, you got to have to be able to teach the players that may never play high school baseball after high school. And understanding how to mesh that all together in a practice. Mm. You're going to have guys that go play D1. You're going to have guys go play D2. You're going to have guys that go to junior college. Then you're going to have guys like, this is it for them. Mm -hmm. And you have to make it equally as special for everybody. Yeah. So in order to do that, you have to take your ego and your pride out of it. Because, yeah, you played. But that doesn't mean that you can, that you can coach. And it's a completely different side of the game to manage a game, to manage a practice plan to manage bullpen sessions, stuff like that. than me going out there and taking extra ground balls and taking hacks in the cage to prepare myself for playing. So mm. it's a complete, so it's, a, so I was able to, to have that same type of three questions. What do I want? What am I willing to do? And what am I willing to sacrifice mm -hmm. to be the best coach I can be? And this was always the goal for me was to, to get to the D one level and, and be good at something. So mm so far away from where I, where I would, would want to be. And I love the journey. I think the journey mm. is the coolest part of it. Like the journey to becoming a major leaguer and, and staying there in this journey of starting in travel ball and coaching for coaching in high school, winning a CIF championship, which was amazing. Yep. <clears throat> coaching in summer ball, coaching for team USA, coaching for, you know, a D one collegiate baseball team. And, and so, and just, the journey has been amazing. And, and if I saw myself as the 13 U coach, I'd slap myself in the head. Like, what are you doing? You are such an idiot. Like you, because you just, and if you, if you get to the point where you go back to your 13 year old self and be like, yeah, you're doing it right. Then you, you definitely didn't learn anything about what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. There's yeah. no, like you can get better at something that you just started like first year coaching compared to the, whatever year I'm at 13th or 14th year. I should be able to go back to that guy and be like, bro, you're doing it all wrong. Like these are the things that you're going to have to make, you know, you're going to have to make these huge adjustments. And then the guy th 12 years ago is going to look at me like, dude, you're an idiot. What are you talking about? I'm dominating 12 of you. Like, let's go, <laughs> you know, like every weekend is like all about yeah. getting cheesy metal and like holding up a trophy, you know? So, <laughs> you know, it's just like anything in life. You got to be able to you know if you can look back and, and see the growth, see the journey, because the journey is the best part. Because you can see, I started somewhere and I'm 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 here now, and because the journey proves that you can get better. The mm. journey proves that there's more in the future.
because if you come from point A to point B, man, that journey from B to C is going to be cool. And then so on and so on. So the journey proves that you can get better in every aspect of your life and whatever you're trying to accomplish because the journey shows you can. Mm. So it's safe to say the journey is the most enjoyable part of becoming a coach and, and going through Absolutely. that coaching. Absolutely. Because yeah, it's just like, it, it, I try to equivalent like, okay, if you go to the gym and you start working out and you just desire that really good look at beach bod that you see on TV, like you yeah. see the, you always see like on ads, you see the guy they're selling some sort of protein shake or whatever. And you see the, the before picture and the after picture mm-hmm. and but you don't see the journey in between, but the person who took those pictures, the person who's on the other end, sees what he was and sees what he is. And he appreciates all the hard work he put in to get to that. This is the current look of what I look at. Look at, look at what I've done. Mm-hmm. We see pictures. That guy sees what, what was in between the two pictures. Mm-hmm. So that's totally. why I think he's so amazing because the journey really happens where like nobody sees the, the, the times you're sitting in your, in your office after a high school baseball game. Mm-hmm beating yourself up for not calling the right pitch or not getting them ready for a certain play that happened in a game. And that falls on you. Mm. You know, those times and we're like, okay, if I'm that coach that doesn't care, I'm going to blame that on the kid. Well, you should have known to do that. Mm. But if I'm a coach that is willing to understand that I need to be better then I need to know that's my fault for not teaching that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that, Mm -hmm. that, that's always been with, with, with coaching. And like now I'm in this completely new world of D1 coaching where everything is so new. I mm. think I violated an NCAA rule every three days <laughs> on social media somehow. I don't, I, I mean, I'm like I'm trying to learn everything about everything. So I am completely out of my <laughs> element. When I'm on the field and I got a fungo in my hand and I'm throwing BP, I feel amazing. Yeah, but I'm trying to soak in as much information as possible. I'm trying to find my place with what my head coach wants me to be. What does he need me to be? And I'm in a game against Loyola Marymount last this last Saturday, and this is the first time that we're not in an inner squad, and I'm finding out what he needs me to be for him as his assistant coach. So okay. I'm now now I'm like, oh my gosh, in high school I'm running, I run, I ran everything. I ran the pitching, I ran the infield, I ran like we, I just did everything mm-hmm. and I loved it. Now I'm here and a lot of like USA baseball, I'm an assistant coach. I need to learn as much as I can to be the best assistant coach I can be for him, for mm-hmm. what he needs. And I'm on this like complete crash course because we get two games of fall and I'm going into Arizona State still wondering what he's going to need me specifically to be for him in an in game situation. Mm. You know, so it's, so it, it's, it's comfortable and uncomfortable at the same time, but I love it because I, I'm learning so much new stuff and learning from the other coaches in our staff and talking to the pitching coach about what he's teaching to his guys just just to get more knowledge. Mm-hmm. So every time you coach at like a different level, even when I coached that first year against you when you were at Oaks Christian, that first year was just like, okay, this is high school baseball. I've never done this level before. Mm-hmm. What have I done that applies that works and what have I done in the past that doesn't work to the high school game? Fortunately enough, it wasn't much different than the high school game. It is much different going from high school to college for sure. As yeah. far as, as far as, you know, dealing with just dudes, everybody's good, which is great. 
that's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Everybody's yeah. really good at baseball. So you can really challenge them to do things. So um, I love it. I, I love every about it. I love that challenge of the newness of it. Because two years mm. from now, like we said, I can come back to the first year I coached at Grand Canyon University and be like, bro, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, we just got to learn. We just got to learn. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what your biggest challenge has been uh, since from uh, since going from high school to uh, to college, but you kind of hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah. You know, just just the shift Every day, of everything. Yeah, the and shifting the roles. Is, like the coaching staff, the coaching staff's used to this because it's it's his tenth year, and he's just like, you know, this is just this is the flow of it. And I'm like, gosh, I'm just trying to yeah. fit in and find my way of what because my job is to be his right hand man. That's my job is to be an extension of him hmm. and understanding. And really focusing on him more about me. It's not about me. I need to focus on what he needs me to be rather than what I have been as a coach. So that's mm-hmm. what makes it so new. I'm used to doing this, 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 and this. And I have to kind of put that aside because a lot of the stuff I can apply or ask him, hey, what do you think about this drill? We, I've done this drill in the past, but it's still his team. So I got to make sure mm-hmm. that like, I'm what he needs me to be to, for us to be successful. Oh, I see. Okay. And it's so funny because I uh, was reminded by my dad about how you ran practices, the drills you guys like to do. He wanted me to ask specifically, and I think this is a great question, is how you can instill uh, an edge in your players that I've been told you like to play with. You had a edge that you, oh, that you played oh, with. Sure. Yeah. So, so what was really funny, like, I've been very blessed in my life to have like never had arm trouble. And to this Mm -hmm. day, 44, I'm 44 years old. And what I used to do when I would face you guys or face another high school team, if I can find video, I would simulate your guys' windups, not yours because you're (laughs) left-handed. You never pitched against us, by the way, which was really crazy. We had a lot of left-hand hitters, and for some reason, Royce never threw you against it. Which I was like, <laughs> Thank you, because we had so many left-handed hitters. But I would actually get yeah to a I I do the measurements, and then put the ramp BP mound at a certain distance in between the sixty-foot six and the plate, and I would do their windups and throw to them what they were going to see the next day. So mm-hmm. whatever pitch that guy threw, however he threw it from whatever angle, I could simulate speed, spin, all that stuff, all different angles. So the yeah. first time they said that I, I said, um, you know, they had our inner squad, our first inner squad, it was like mm-hmm. three innings. I was like, why don't we, why don't do we do more than three innings? And they said, well, we, we just, with our pitchers aren't ready. I said, well, I can throw. They're like, what do you mean you can throw? I'm like, well, what do you want? Like, do you want... 94 do you want 90 do you want 88 <laughs> said, what are you talking about i said well i know where to put the mound and i know i throw 84 miles an hour if i let it eat i can get to 86 but i know i can throw 84 miles an hour but if i put myself in the front of the mound and i throw from a platform at 88 miles an hour it simulates like 92 93 to those guys mm-hmm. and i can and i i usually can throw for a pretty long period of time we can get these guys extra at bats mm. so so that became like this this drill they call it you know that you have the hack attack they call it mm-hmm. <laughs> they call it the jack attack there you go <laughs> yeah what they, what they used to do was get the hack attack and they would make the machine 
and they would do let bats that way. Well, now it literally, I literally go in after the last pitcher with a catcher. I have an L screen because they'll, they'll kill me if they hit one back in the middle. Yeah. But I just ask him, what do you want? Friday night guy, Saturday night or Sunday night guy. And that just depends on where I move the ramp. And, mm. and that edge comes out because I literally tell him my entire goal is to get you out. I don't care. Like I'm going yeah. to get you guys out and I need you guys to know that I'm not going to lay it in for you. I'm going to throw freaking every pitch that I have, which is going to be four to five different ones from three to four different angles <laughs> get you out. Cause I want you to guys to compete. So that first yeah. day now, Jacob knows, obviously he's got 40,000 at bats off me. So I can't fool mm-hmm. that dude. <laughs> you know, Eli Patton who played, uh, Eli Payton who played for GBG with Jacob all those years with Chris, your brother. Yeah. He knows, but nobody else knew. And like, I was fired up because I was letting it eat. And, and yeah. I was punching guys out and they were like walking back like, why? I'm like, because I want you to compete. And I'm telling you, every time mm. I get on that mound, it is not going to be easy because he's allowing me to give you guys the same look of whatever miles per hour he wants to do. But I'm not going to, I'm literally going to be like trying to get you out because I want you guys to compete. I don't want you to think you're facing me. So mm. now done this four or five six different times now they get like oh we're doing jack attack and i just talk crap like non-stop i'm like why do you care we're doing jack crap you're gonna go for four anyways i own you like i want i i want to bring out that so that edge comes out in a sense where it's like you want to take grounds ground balls with me okay let's i'll let's go like i still have that edge to compete you Mm. know so so when your dad says that he's seen that firsthand when I used to be able to throw from the mound when yeah. your brother and all these guys were in high school and I could still move out of the way if they hit it back at me. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but that was, I, I did it the same thing with them. And I said, listen, I always wanted, I always wanted in high school. I did. I said, I'm going to do whatever that guy does, but it tick faster. So when you face him the next day, he's not as dirty as I am right now. So mm. I use the competitiveness on the mound. I use it with, I, I take ground balls. And I, I talk smack to them because I, I, I want to compete. I still love to compete. I can still move around. I, my arm feels great. But I, that edge comes out because it's like, okay, we should never do things in a practice or anything that's, that doesn't have an edge, that doesn't mm. bring out the best in us. Like, yeah. like oh, just doing, if we're just doing machine BP today. I'm like, well, then dominate the machine. Like, kill it. Like, yeah. Well, like, you know what I mean? So for me, it was, I was always that way where like, all right, you want to give me a drill? I'm going to dominate everybody in this drill, period. And that's just mm. the thought process of coming in. So I love getting on the mound. Half the time I would like find an Oaks Christian shirt and put it on and do it, which really pissed <laughs> off. But like, I would find like, yeah. oh so, my gosh. So I would dress up. I'd have, I, I, I took the, the Pirates jersey and uh with a big black i had black and yellow and had a big key on it and then i would put mm-hmm. an end next to it when we were playing newberry park and i would go out and pitch oh my against them, run my mouth to ben martz and run my mouth to all those guys and be like this is it this is it so i do the same thing with these guys these guys love Ugh. it they run their mouth back but it's but that edge definitely still comes out as long as as long as this guy still stays good yeah um i'm gonna, I'm gonna keep doing that because I, I i love it it keeps me young keeps my heart pumping but it's also a really good tool for, for hmm. them to, to, to have something to, cause I, if they don't get a hit, if they, uh, I mean, they punch out or something, I'm letting them have it as they walk back to the dugout. Yeah. I'm just all, I'm like, dude, I have 44. That is embarrassing. And <laughs> everybody laughs and it's fun. And I don't do it to, to like, just, 
everybody has a good time with it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a way for me to be like, all right, nothing here is going to be, I'm not throwing you BP so that you can just tee off. Like, yeah, yeah. You're legit at bats. Good luck. Cause I'm well, just, I'm coming after you. Yeah. And it's also like a, a shared experience where you can say like, all right, I'll be the, the villain that you guys team up against right now. Like yeah. you got, and it builds that, it builds that competitive sort of nature in someone to be like, all right, guys, how are we going to beat this guy? Like, this is what he's throwing right now. Like, how are we going to beat it? And it simulates a game like you're talking about. And right. it's an important piece of the game that I feel like it's probably not super common or maybe it's, maybe it's more common than I think, but for a team to like collectively come together as an offense and yeah. say like, how are we going to beat this guy and how well you do that is like so important, especially like in college baseball. So, yeah. Well, yeah. anything, anything you can do to, to create competition is yeah. always going to bring yeah. the best in people that are competitive. Mm-hmm. If you're not competitive, you're probably not playing D one baseball anyways. Yeah. So, yeah. but like if you, anytime you create, like all of a sudden, like, we play inner squads. We've done three or four inner squads, and it's been good baseball, but it's the beginning. But as mm-hmm. soon as we said, all right, hey, winner gets this meal, the, the losers have to clean up the field, all of a sudden it's a completely new experience. <laughs> the energy goes through uh, the roof. The incentives. Just the incentives because you created competition yeah. other than, oh, we're just doing an inner squad. Oh, the stats don't matter. I'm just going through the motions. No, no, no. You're going to run a lot if you lose and all of a sudden like oh i'm hitting my spot like i'm getting this guy out so mm-hmm. like i always felt like man is any time that we can do a practice or be in a practice situation where we can enhance the competitiveness like mm-hmm. we're gonna get the best out of our players yeah we're like yeah we're gonna get them get get them going for sure it's like a it's kind of building that game within a game mentality like because that's that's kind of what baseball really is right it's like you're kind of just playing a game with yourself as the greater game is going on right like yeah yeah absolutely yeah you're just playing against yourself at the end of the day yeah yeah i love that though i love that um i had to ask that you know Um, um i've got two questions left the first one is um if you well, I guess if you didn't play baseball, but I'll ask if you didn't coach baseball because you already played. So it's like if you didn't, right. like if you didn't coach baseball, would, would there be anything else you'd do? Or if you didn't play baseball, I guess would there be anything else you'd be doing? I think it'd be really difficult for me to not do anything. Like I love, I mean, just like your standard baseball player answer, like yeah, I golf. Yeah, I it's mean, like what just, else would you be doing? Like or be playing, like try to be a professional pickleball player. <laughs> something it would have to be something competitive i honestly mm. i think that's what helps with with coaching is the competitiveness is really me trying to make players as best as i could possibly make them so the competitiveness was is always about it so if it wasn't coaching <clears throat> yeah i'd still be really trying to compete at, at something mm. and and going all in on it like whatever it was it would be it would be it wouldn't be a job <clears throat> like it would be something athletic that I could do that I could compete with people at a high level. Mm. That would be something that if I wasn't coaching, that would be it. Whether whatever that looked like at age 44 or whatever competition that is, <laughs> that's what I would be doing just because I would want to push myself to, to compete and be good at something. And mm. 
I love pickleball, by the way. That game is awesome. I just learned that like a year ago. You mentioned now, that, so yeah. I, I haven't picked it up at all, but it oh looks my gosh, really it's interesting. Awesome. Yeah. It's really interesting, and I it's like there's all the rules you got to know, but it is fast paced. It's a lot of fun. It's especially mm. if you like ping pong. It's like a giant ping pong table. It's pretty awesome. So yeah, seriously. I love oh my it. Gosh. Yeah. I it's mean, also good it's... To golf. Yeah, I mean, it, golf, it's so funny. Like, ping pong is, like, every minor leaguer is at the ping pong oh, table, like, and stuff. And absolutely. then every pitcher is golfing. And it's like, all yeah. right, like, I got to do something, you know, with the guys. <laughs> right. you know, I got to pick one of these at least, right? Yeah. Um, The last question I have for you, and you're going to have more of these as time goes on. It's – I'm asking, like, what your most memorable recruiting visit is. But I actually – I know you don't have a whole lot of, like, visits under your belt just yet. So I kind of want to ask, I like – if you have like a memorable like player to, to coach experience, like one where it stuck out to you and you were and you were like, okay, I'm I think I'm gonna hold on to this experience, you know, a little longer, maybe put it in the back pocket so I can use it for someone else as like a a a lesson. I think I think when I look back at it, I think there is other than coaching Jacob, you know, for mm -hmm. all the years now getting an opportunity to coach him. Mm -hmm. Oh, in college. Um, the one experience I had that sticks out to me was a, was a four-year period with one particular player. Mm -hmm. And that was Max Muncy at Thousand Oaks High School. Mm -hmm. Ended up being a first-round pick for the A's. And probably one of the – when we talked about the adjustments I had to make as a coach, mm -hmm. like he is the founder of those adjustments on how to deal with – an incredibly talented player at such a young age where at first I was so freshman year, I'm easy on him because he's a freshman and he's playing varsity and he's a dude, mm -hmm. like he's our right fielder. And so you're like just watching in amazement, like how he can go out there and compete as a, like legitimately compete in the Marmonte league as a freshman, which is pretty tough to do. Mm -hmm. It was really would have been tough to do you're in the year that you guys played i felt like high school baseball when you guys played that first year that i coached was unbelievable like the talent level was crazy everybody it's pretty, had out there. It's pretty insane yeah i never coached i never coached for the next four years i never had the experience that i had with that first year it was so mm. good like every team was good every mm. team had high quality players so i have max's freshman year his sophomore year He's starting to gain a little bit of steam about who he is. He's starting to get really good. And I'm really hard on him because, mm -hmm. because I feel like he's not living up to his potential because he's not, sometimes he looks out, he's lazy. Sometimes I, or what I would consider would be lazy as for him, he's working and it looks like everybody else, but I know how good he is. He could be better if he was working harder mm -hmm. in a sense, but yeah. to nobody else, it doesn't look anybody else, but I'm looking at a guy that could be a superstar and I'm feeling like, he's not living up to that status but in in reality he was doing what a 15 to 16 year old kid should do but i saw it differently mm. so then junior year and we are just like pounding heads because now he's a team usa guy and it's just like we are just going back and forth he's the one of our best players it's the 2020 season so it gets shortened up we only play eight games but the whole fall and everything is just is just a grind because i'm still on him to to be what he could be like the possibility then comes his senior year and i finally just said like maybe it's me maybe the reason why 
I don't feel he's getting to a certain point is because I'm being too hard on him. Like I am not letting him flourish because I'm on him for everything he does that I don't like. Hmm. Why are you glove flipping every ball to second base when all you have to do is take it out of your freaking glove and just hand it like, why does it have to be a glove flip? Why does it have to be behind your back every time? And every time you do it, I'm saying something. Hmm. And then, then his senior year came and I, from the get-go, I just said, you know what? I need to adjust. I need to adjust to this kid. If I want him to do something and I want mm-hmm. him to be great, obviously what I've been doing over the last two years has not been successful on where I think he should be. Now he's done great. He's been amazing, but it wasn't because I was like, got my arm around him, giving him love. So I went full opposite and I started doing that. I, I literally, I remember the first day of fall ball going, Max, you're pretty darn amazing. I said, I think you're going to do an amazing job this year. I think you're going to, and he just looked at me like, whoa, that's, don't usually talk like that. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I got your back. And every time he would glove flip, I never say anything. And every hmm. time he'd glove flip, I wouldn't say anything. I would just be like, just Max being Max. And you know, like literally saying that he can do those things because he's confident and he's, he has this ability that he has to do that. And even though I don't like that, he does that, I he knows it. And eventually he stopped doing it. He started doing it out of it because I would just look at him and, and he would, he was testing me in a sense where like, is he going to yell at me now? Because I glove flipped and I wouldn't. And then all of a sudden our relationship completely changed that entire year. Hmm. And that was one of the main things when you talk about experience with a single player, I looked back and said, it was me that whole time. It wasn't Max defying me. It was yeah. the fact that I didn't put myself to be a better coach and a better mentor for him in those two years. I let him down. And that opened my eyes to, to everything that I'm going to do in the future is based off of that because it became more about me adjusting to him rather than me trying to force him to adjust to me. Mm-hmm. And that philosophy, I think I'll carry for the rest of my coaching life, just that experience and what I learned from that to being like, because from that senior year, you're probably not going to find two closer coach to player relationships than we had that year. Hmm. And it was just me just showing him love and saying, you know what? I'm a huge fan. I always have been, I've just been really bad at it. (laughs) And I think that experience that experience his senior year and what he did and what we did as a team was super special. Not only because we, we were able to have such a great season and win ICIF championship with that group, but it was also just eye opening to me because we were like, man, yeah, that was me. That was me that whole time. Mm-hmm. And kind of a cool, kind of a cool thing to, 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 to experience that and be like, we talk about learning from your failures. I'm like, man, this is, you know, and I apologize to him and I apologize to his dad. Man, I'm sorry. I was so hard on you guys. Like I wanted mm-hmm. him to be great so bad that it, it, that it took away from his experience. And I apologize if his high school experience wasn't as good as it could have been. But we had that senior year and that changed everything for me as a coach on how I viewed what a coach should be. And more importantly, the coach, mentor, fan, friendship, like bond, everything that, that we have now. Mm-hmm. that I wish could have had longer, but I, but I was in my own way. So I know that's a longer answer than you thought. It's, but a, it's a great answer. That, yeah. That experience w- was really shaped me to be a, a completely different outlook on coaching just, just from that single person. 
I mean, that story just tells me in such a beautiful way that we're all human, you know, and like you, you finally realize that it's like, oh, I'm dealing with another human here. Like I need to understand the relationship a lot better as opposed to just like how good I can be uh, or how good I can coach a person, you know, like, like how can I like do what I'm good at, you know, and apply that to this person. And then they just accept the things that I'm good at. You know, it's yeah. like, how can we build a relationship? That's really what it is. Like yeah. building relationship, like the coach, the player to coach relationship is so important. Um, sure. That's an awesome story. I like that a yeah. lot. I mean, yeah. And obviously someone who like watched you guys kind of from afar, I would have never known about that, you know, but, right. the, but the fact that you tell that story, it's like, it's amazing, but also it's probably not the first time that's happened, you know, in all of, yeah. in all of coaching you know, and it's important. It's important for, for players and coaches to get on the same level. And like you say, it's like, a, it's kind of, it takes time, but it's like a communication thing too. Like that's a, that's a huge thing. Yeah. Wow. Sure. I love that. That's a, that's a great story. That's the, the most like in-depth story that I've gotten for sure. In terms of like a player <laughs> to coach experience, no doubt. Usually the coaches are just talking about like, oh yeah, like, this kid's dad sucked and like <laughs> right. every, every, every single coach is going to have a kid that dad's dad is just like way too involved. And you're like, right. Yeah, that happens, but that's awesome. Um, cool. wow. Jack, that's all I have, uh, for, for on my end. Um, I do want to give you kind of like, I guess like a last words, um, maybe just to like kind of bring it all home. Um, Maybe if you want to talk about just GCU as a whole, you know, because this is about GCU uh, as well. Um, if you want to just talk about, you know, like maybe something that you you uh, you see in your guys' program that you think is maybe special compared to others, because um, right. I think every program is different. Every program brings a different um, just sort of uh, approach to to the game, but also to the day to day. Like I'm talking about the relationships. So, um, so if you have anything, um, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I think, you know, Grand Canyon has always been special to me. Um, I actually went back and finished my degree through Grand Canyon online. Mm. when I was like 30, 36. I think it took me three years to, to get my degree online. And that was Mm. even before Jacob was even there. Um, before you got an offer from them or whatnot. So it's always been really special to me. And I've been able to see them grow as a program mm-hmm. from those early times. I mean, that was eight years ago. So just to see them go from D2 to D1 to, to being WAC champions to going to a regional the last couple of years. Uh, so it's been really cool. I actually remember sitting in the office when Coach Stankwitz gave Jacob his offer his song, at the beginning of his sophomore year. And I kind of thought like, man, I feel like you guys are like TCU. Like nobody heard of TCU 10 years prior to that. Mm. Like nobody ever heard of like Texas Christian. Like I think you only knew of Texas Christian because of LaDainley Tomlinson, the big time running back, Hall of Fame running back. <laughs> you and he'd always do this. You're like, what is he doing? Yeah. Like, is he doing a knuckleball? <laughs> so <laughs> I said, I felt like GCU was kind of on that same path to be kind of the next TCU mm. small private school that, no one really heard of a baseball program to be one of the best baseball programs in the nation year in and year out now. Um, and, you know, you kind of almost get into that, that spot where they last year, they cracked the top 25 nationally ranked. 
Uh, they've gone to a regional the last couple last couple of years uh, for the first time in their history. So I think it's just one of those upcoming programs that can that continues to build and continues to get a lot of really good players that are that that want to come and enjoy the obviously the the Christian college experience that that we have. Mm-hmm. But also too, it's it's a place that always has shown that that players have the ability to come in and and have an ability to compete from the get-go. There's never a guy that comes in as a freshman like, okay, you're not going to play this year. Like, no, you have the you have the ability to come c- compete, and you know what? Beat out the guy, beat out a sophomore, beat out a junior. Because when it, when it, the bottom line comes to it, an opening day, if you can help us win more than anybody else, you'll be in there. So mm-hmm. that's what I've always liked about about Grand Canyon. They they don't care if you're on scholarship, if you're a walk on. Like, mm-hmm. if you if you can play, you can play, uh, regardless of your status and what your what your scholarship is or walk on, whatever it may be. So I've always enjoyed that about them. I enjoyed them beautiful brand new stadium that keeps getting upgraded and upgraded which is really cool beautiful beautiful campus and i think we 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 have we have a lot of fun i think that best teams that i ever competed against looked like they had the best the most fun like they Mm. were close-knit group a really close group and and i think that's part of the the things that we really push our our program to be as a as a family Mm. and because that's the only way you can win you can't have clicks you can't have Oh, pitchers are there, position players here. Like we're all in this together and we're trying to achieve greatness as a unit. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I love that aspect about it to be able to come in and say, Hey, this is a family. Whatever we do this year is what we do is what we're going to do with it. But we're always going to be lopes. We're always going to have each other's backs. We're always going to have these relationships that you're talking about. The mm-hmm. coaches are invested in their players. They're invested in, they can show up to the, to the clubhouse one day and we know immediately something happened off the field that is mm. bothering them and allowing them to be like, Hey, if you need a day, like, it's okay. Like mm. you need, you need time. Like it's not going to hurt you. In fact, like if there, if there's sometimes where things in life happens and if you can't come here and be all in because something else is happening in your life, whether it's a girlfriend or a test or whatever it may be, it's like, it's okay. It's okay. Cause life is life. And we understand mm. that we're all, we've all been there. So I think it's a just a loving environment to these young men to to give them the opportunity to develop and be and be great at something and, and pour our hearts into them. So Dang. that's what we like to do. That's what yeah. we like to do. You know, it's a, it's a lot of fun doing it. They're, they're great kids. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. It's I mean, I'm excited about for you guys. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that fires me up. I don't know. Like I feel like it's really difficult to find programs these days where it's like you know, you're going to come in and like immediately be loved. Like, I think it's, you know, it's starting to become a little bit more regular, but like, that's yeah. so important. And a lot of guys, like if you're, if you're a high school recruit, Juco guy listening, like right now, it's like, that is so important. That is something you should be prioritizing. And like, maybe you haven't heard that it's like so important yet, but I'm telling you right now, like that's, yeah. that's yeah. what it boils down to. Like, it's sure. unreal how important that is. Um, yeah. So just hearing that, like that, yeah, that definitely uh that that aspect of the game and like the experience that is like a special thing to me so i I just love the sound of that um yeah that's everything uh that i have again so i mean you said your piece and that was perfect i think that's a great way to sign off um and yeah i i would like to talk to you a little bit right after that after we say goodbye but um i guess all i can say now is thank you for coming on and yeah, uh, yeah, and 
to the listeners. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next week as well.